and welcome to episode 11, the special bonus episode of the Closet and Pocket podcast, where I cover everything you can wear on you and carry with you. My name is David, and I want to thank you so much for joining me here on this last episode of 2019. Now, I'm actually recording this uh, the, the Tuesday before Thanksgiving, and I haven't really made up my mind as to whether or not I want to release it the week of Thanksgiving or the week afterwards. So if I end up posting this the week afterwards, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. And uh, if you're listening to this from outside of the United States, uh, I just hope generally that things are going well for you. Now, I mentioned in episode one uh, that for this season, 10 shows was my goal. But the look back at the big stories of 2019 as I saw them last week proved much more in-depth than I anticipated. And so as I said in that show, I'm back for an episode 11, where I'll be looking uh, more concretely at the trends of 2019 that I believe are either here to stay for 2020 uh, or, on the contrary, are going away. So of course, in those new stories I looked at, there was some foreshadowing of things I thought would be sticking around or leaving for the new year. Uh, But here I'm going to take some more uh, definitive stances and actually tell you what those trends are that I think are going to be sticking around or not. Now, one thing I do want to be very clear on um, is that these are educated opinions. Now, I want to say that because I come from a a management consulting background, and we always want to be very careful with the clients to separate fact uh, or, uh, yeah, so fact, right, from opinion. So if we don't have a proper fact base and we haven't done the analysis, we'll say something's a hypothesis, but we we won't present it as fact. And I just want to say that because when I'm proposing these trends to you, uh, they're based off of my own sort of expertise I think I've gained over 10 years of following uh, these types of stories, uh, also just anecdotes and uh, various uh, news stories that I've taken mental notes on over the past year. So I want to say that I'm confident in these, but of course, you know, if you said, well, can you dig a little bit deeper into that? I'd have to come back with some more uh, solid data. But then of course, you know, reading charts and uh, tables over a podcast just doesn't work that well. So I just want to be very clear that uh, these are informed opinions, uh, nothing more than that. Having said that, if you think I've forgotten something or you want to challenge me on any of these, I welcome that. Uh, please do go ahead and leave uh, a review in the uh, comment section of wherever it is you're listening to this, or you can always feel free to send me an email directly. Uh, that's closetandpocket at gmail.com, and that address is in the uh, in the show notes. Okay, so with all of that out of the way, let's just go ahead and start by looking at the trends from 2019 that I think will pretty safely carry over to 2020. In other words, let's look at the trends I believe are here to stay for the coming year. The first trend I feel pretty good about are luxury collaborations with streetwear brands. Now, these have been a huge hit in recent years, um, and there's a reason for that. You know, with traditional luxury brands wanting to continue moving away from their historically established older client base towards, you know, the quote-unquote cool kids, I see no reason for these partnerships to stop. The most recent rumor I've read is a collaboration between uh, Dior and Jordan brand. These will, of course, be very limited. Um, And it's just in continuation of these extremely hyped partnerships between Supreme, Louis Vuitton, uh, you know, Bape, and Mont Blanc. I mean, you can pick pretty much any streetwear brand, you know, Palace, uh, Ralph Lauren, and any kind of established luxury player, chances are they've done a partnership. The Dior Jordan brand would be enormous if it uh, if it uh, did come through. The rumors that I read started surfacing in November, so I think you know safe bet that this would be something we'd see next year if it did actually happen. Uh, but yeah, I think it's just another sort of um, 
data point, you can, if you can call it that, in this trend of luxury collaborations with the streetwear brands. Now, I can use that to dovetail very nicely into what I think is the second trend that I think is going to stick around for uh, 2020, and that is the drop. Now, I covered this uh, this sort of go-to-market model in episode three on uh, on hype. So if you have not listened to that show, I invite you to, to go check it out. But if you have, uh, you'll already know my thoughts on this, and I'm not going to rehash that entire show here, but basically my summary uh, and my, my reasoning for thinking th- that this drop model is going to stick around is as follows. As long as kids want to look cool, as long as they have access to social media, and as long as companies want the benefits of free marketing uh, that, that, that scarcity can bring, right, that's associated with the drop model, uh, they will continue to use uh, this, um, this drop structure to get their, their products to market. So even though it is very annoying for people who are just looking to get their hands on the goods, uh, and it kind of confuses me as an older consumer why people would want to buy into this frenzy, uh, it's not going away anytime soon. You know, going back to that Jordan uh, Dior collaboration, uh, the the article which brought up the rumor, which I'll link to in the show notes, I think said there'd be something along the lines of thousand or two thousand pairs. So certainly minuscule compared to um, to anything that either brand puts out or could put out if they wanted to crank up supply. But uh, the buzz they're going to generate for all of their other products, I think, is uh, is probably calculable. But uh, I think you can say, regardless, just huge compared to the actual revenue they're going to get from the shoes. Now, this dovetails to my third trend I think is going to be sticking around, and that is sneakers. Now, before you laugh at me and say, well, sneakers isn't a trend, uh, just hear me out. So one segment of the apparel industry that relies heavily on the drop model is, of course, sneakers. Now, I know this isn't really a trend. But of course, items of clothing go out of style all the time. I mean, I can remember, and I'm not going to be able to find this, but back in 1998, so I was in middle school at the time, and I was obsessed with uh, sneakers. So I brought this up in the very first episode of Closet and Pocket, but I was obsessed with sneakers. And this was the time of, you know, the Penny Hardaway foam posits, the Scottie Pippins. Uh, I mean, you know, pick any sort of famous uh, 90s retro shoe and I remember there being an article in USA Today back in 1998 saying that the popularity of sneakers was uh, was waning. Just people weren't as interested in them as they were before. And then, of course, you know, that made me excited because I thought, well, I might get a good deal on some sneakers, or at least my parents would be when they bought them for me. But um, didn't happen uh, immediately. But then you saw in the year 2000, uh, or around the kind of early 2000s, you had the Air Force Ones came back. You had kind of the throwback retro jersey trend, which I think probably did something to uh, get people more interested in sneakers again. And of course, that launched the machine. And here we are now where you have StockX and you have people waiting in line that are hundreds of people deep and hours long to get their hands on these, these new colorways. And I'm saying all of that to sort of drive home the point that These could be something cyclical, but I don't think that cycle will exhaust itself in 2020. So you can absolutely expect more collaborations and more colorways to flood StockX in the coming year. Having said that, I do want to provide a caveat to this, and that is that uh, ugly, chunky dad sneakers, I think those are out for 2020, and uh, you will not find me uh, crying over that at all. I mean, I get it. Fashion sort of is what it is. We're in the anything goes era, uh, but I think that uh, 
to the extent that you know Balenciaga maybe started this, other people pile on pretty quickly after that. And uh, whereas sneakers generally uh, aren't necessarily a trend that's going out of style, I think that particular subset of sneakers uh, will be will be leaving us in 2020. So I want to change gears a little bit from uh, from sneakers and move from the feet to the wrist and cover a couple trends. Uh, that I think will be uh, here to stay with regards to wristwatches. Now, the next thing that I think is here to stay for 2020 uh, is the category of stainless steel sports watches. Now, I know you're probably saying, you know, why are you mentioning this? It's not a trend. It's just like sneakers. Uh, it's it's going to be there all the time. You know, I I don't know about that. Obviously, the elephants in the room here are Rolex, Patek, and, and to a lesser extent, but only marginally, Audemars Piguet. And I think it's because of those models and what I think is going to happen to them, and more on that in kind of the next list I'll be presenting, that I think it's worth saying that stainless steel sports watches generally uh, are, in fact, here to stay. You know, hyped models aside, the world is becoming more casual, and people want the convenience and efficiency of, uh, of things that can transition through their day with them. But I think we also have to remember that, you know, because of the recent developments in the industry with these very hyped models, I think that there is a tendency to, to believe that a sports watch has to have an integrated bracelet. But that's just not the case. I mean, a dive watch is a sports watch. Uh, a pilot's watch like the Zin 556 with its screw-down crown, that's a sports watch. Uh, the JLC Reverso, also a sports watch. I mean, it was designed for polo players while they were playing a sport. And so I think it's worth mentioning that even though the archetype of what people see a sports watch as now might be fading away, uh, the category of stainless steel sports watches itself, uh, I think, is, is very strong, will continue to be strong, and, um, and I don't see that going, going away for 2020. Now, I know that I'm speaking from a Western point of view here, because my understanding is that, you know, a dive watch sells very well in perhaps Europe and, and America, but, uh, you know, in Asia, it's more dress watches, right? So I, I completely understand there's some uh, some geographic um, bias towards this. But I think in terms of models that can move the needle in terms of hype or just in terms of sales numbers overall, I, I think I can conf- confidently say that the category of stainless steel sports watches will continue to be strong going into 2020. So sticking now to watches, but also allowing myself to to broaden things a little bit, I believe that there will be high interest in uh, used watches and used luxury goods generally, and actually even higher interest in 2020 for those things than I feel has been building over 2019. As I've talked about before in episode eight, uh, watches are only becoming more and more well-built, and without substantial growth in the enthusiast base, there will always be someone trying to flip their last acquisition for uh, a new grail. I do think that the used watch market, as opposed to the vintage watch market, uh, will continue to pick up steam in 2020. And I think that's the case for um, you know, many uh, different uh, luxury, used luxury goods uh, marketplaces. So here I'm thinking like grailed, the real real, or the old standby of eBay. But I, I do think that um, as consumers become more conscious of uh, value, as Goods become discontinued, uh, or just you know consumers who enjoy the the thrill of the thrill of the hunt and 
finding something that totally surprises them. I think that uh, there will be even more interest in uh, in these used marketplaces. And as I said in the last episode, uh, I think the deal between the Real Real and Burberry is one of several that could be coming in 2020. So look in 2020, not just to see more interest from consumers uh, for these used goods and these used marketplaces, but also the primary manufacturers and brands trying to get on the act, trying to get in on the action. Now, there is another trend I think is going to be bolstering this interest in uh, used luxury goods, and this is the last uh, kind of big trend on my list of um, of things that I believe are here to stay in uh, 2020, and that is the issue of sustainability. Now, unfortunately, uh, the fashion industry is notorious for being one of the world's most environmentally taxing. I do believe that uh, the the groundswell from consumers, which has been ongoing for the past couple of years, has really, I think, reached an inflection point on the curve, uh, certainly in 2019, and I think that will continue into 2020. And I think that all companies are going to have to respond if they haven't started already, because that's the direction in which the customers are moving. Now, personally, I would shed no tears if uh, fast fashion went away. But more realistically, uh, in 2020, I would just love to see any famous luxury brand or brands uh, shed its or their just very abstract marketing to focus on how the values of heritage and craftsmanship carry over to help advance the cause of sustainability. So rather than having uh, a luxury goods company, so pick any one of the portfolio companies of like Kering or LVMH, uh, but just rather than selling seasonal expensive accessories, focus on the heritage and the craftsmanship and the fact that these can be used for a very long time. They can be fixed. They can be sold on, right? I mean, all of these things currently lack from the messaging. And I'm sure that there's probably some hesitance on the part of these luxury brands because I think that they feel that the aloofness and kind of the beauty put forth in their, uh, in their marketing, which sort of ignores the realities of the world that we're in, I think they probably think that that is core to the brand. And so if you sort of, quote unquote, lower yourself to deal with these real world issues, it will take away from your brand. But I'm, I'm uh, against that view. I think that the first couple of companies that take the lead and actually uh, pursue this, uh, while still staying very true to their roots of being luxury companies, uh, I, I think we'll find that there are definitely some uh, some positive benefits there. So I, I hope that this this uh, kind of groundswell in 2019 around the cause of sustainability continues towards 2020. And indeed, based on what I've read and, and just kind of what I'm understanding from the uh, the various things that are happening out there in this space, I do think that is going to be the case. So now that we've looked at the trends that I believe are here to stay for 2020, let's just jump right into those that I believe will be going away in the new year. The first trend I see going away in 2020 is Patek Philippe and Rolex hype. This is something that people have already started talking about. And really, I remember hearing uh, rumors or rumblings around this uh, around the summer of 2019. And I really believe that the coming year, 2020, will be the year where some of the the nuttiness, and I don't think there's any other word for it, but the nuttiness around the 5711 and various Rolex sports watches abates. For one thing, there's been ongoing feelings of recession coming, but I don't think that that's necessarily pertinent to, to my argument, because certainly if the recession comes, it will have an effect, but it will have an effect on the whole market. 
What I'm talking about here is a very specific lack of or decrease in interest in these very specific models. Here's here are a couple of facts. So first of all is that there definitely is inventory out there. Now it's a gray market pricing, but it's there. And you can go ahead and check Chrono24 is just one example of that. Additionally to the inventory, there are reports of gray market watch dealers cutting prices to move that inventory uh, quickly. I mean, everyone thinks that they're the ones gouging consumers, but they have to get their watches from somewhere. And that's either Rolex dealers who are selling it to the gray market, a no-no uh, in Rolex's book, but it's happening, or consumers who get their hands on these watches just to flip them. So the margins from the gray market dealer side are not as big as you would think, and they need to keep their inventory churning to free up cash for more acquisitions. And because of that, there has been some loosening in pricing. And there's a YouTube video I saw re recently from uh, Bark and Jack, which I will link to in the show notes, which is kind of taking you through some of these examples. Now, I will say that I'm less bearish on the Rolex sports models than I am on the 5711. The former, I think, will always be popular, but the latter, so that's to say the 5711, is a watch that's not really very horologically interesting. Now, it's, you know, you're probably saying, well, it's easy for you to say that. You don't own one. You have no clue. That's probably fair. But at the same time, you know, I've had this ongoing feeling for a while now that the 5711 isn't really like a watch anymore so much as it, as it is an investment vehicle that happens to be a watch. I mean, it's, it's a complete abstraction. Uh, it's a three-hand watch that tells, you know, the date. Um, and there's other great watches out there, certainly for the, the pricing that this, uh, that this watch is uh, commanding currently out on the gray market. So just the strangeness around my thoughts on the 5711 and the fact that it really, it isn't even a watch anymore. It's talked about as just something that appreciates or depreciates in value. I think that's going to get old after a while. I think that as you have customers who were looking to buy this watch just for them, uh, have gotten frustrated and gone off and discovered other things, I think that carries forth into 2020. And uh, this is the year that investors cash in their gains on the 5711, and it goes from being just, you know, uh, an investment vehicle uh, to just kind of another used watch on the market. Maybe settling at levels higher than what uh, Patek is selling it for, but I think that the, uh, the progression upwards that we've seen through 2019, uh, my sort of educated prediction is that the, that will be over in 2020. Sticking with watches now, the next trend to go away in 2020 uh, is my favorite subject to beat on, and that is uh, vintage watches. Uh, but unfortunately, I think vintage-inspired watches may also be on their way out as well. Now, I think 2020 is the year vintage-inspired watches start to fall away. Don't get me wrong, uh, I'll still love my Tudor Black Bay, but after so many years of re-releases, surely the vaults are, are dry at this point, or at least you would imagine that consumers will have gotten tired of yet another vintage re-release. But there is definitely a catch-22 at play here. You know, on one hand, I think that for the long-term health of the industry, uh, the vintage trend just has to die because new models have to come out. So the question is, where are, the, where are those new models? I mean, a, a new watch does not just happen overnight. They take years to develop. So unless watch companies have been really good at keeping secrets, uh, the fountain of new ideas is likely quite dry. Also, uh, watch companies aren't known for uh, risk-taking. 
And to be fair, I mean, that applies to most companies, right? But I think Swiss watch companies in particular uh, are always criticized for being very, very conservative. And as a part of that, they'll go where consumers uh, tell them to tell them that they're buying. And I think that unfortunately with the cold reception given to some companies trying new things, so you know, I think Audemars Piguet would, would rather forget uh, the code 1159 nightmare, for instance. But I think that given that uh, consumers have given some of these new ideas the cold shoulder, uh, there could be some painful transitioning between the new old offerings and the uh, truly new. And I think consumers have uh, a role to play in this as well because there is a lot of complaining that watch companies never try anything uh, new, but then the most popular watches now are the Patek Philippe, the Rolex, the Royal Oak. These are all things that have been around for decades. They're updates, but they're decades-old designs. So I think if consumers really want to be serious about uh, criticizing these, uh, you know, the, the lack of new ideas from watch companies, I think they should step up and, and support those new ideas. But um, at the same time, I think that uh, that they will, they will have no choice but to do that because the well is probably going to be running quite dry uh, in terms of the, uh, the vintage reissues. Now, moving to actual vintage watches, I would like to think that the mania around the actual vintage uh, watch market will disappear in 2020. You know, that doesn't affect me because I'm not in the market for these watches. Uh, but at the same time, it's important for uh, the general watch buying populace. And I say that because, you know, if, if rich collectors want to sell to each other in a loop uh, where there's the same watches just trading back and forth, uh, yeah, that's fine. But I do think that most people will be better off when random, frankly, junky dive watches that can't go near a kitchen sink stop being sold for thousands because they're referred to as vintage. So I think that if uh, groups of collectors want to trade older watches amongst themselves, fine. Uh, but I think that the, the halo that's creating around vintage watch or just old watches that are deemed vintage, uh, I certainly would like to think that 2020 is, uh, is the year that uh, that goes away. Okay, so switching gears now, the next trend that I believe will be going away in 2020 is a logoed out craziness in clothing. I don't wear a lot of streetwear. Uh, I'm just too old for it, and the designs are just too out there for me. But I do follow the scene because I genuinely find it uh, supremely interesting. So I'll pause for you to laugh there while you realize what I did. But it, it, is, it is a very interesting, very vibrant scene. And what I've found, and really what I've found, it's hard to say I found it because it's right up there in your face, is that a big part of streetwear, uh, especially at the level of the collaborations with the luxury houses that I talked about earlier, um, are these huge logos. I mean, they play a, a big part in the design language. Now, I've heard a few rumbles from GQ and Esquire that uh, a looser version of the suit may be coming back in 2020, uh, as will more preppy style. One company that comes up uh, numerous times has been uh, rowing blazers. And if that happens, uh, I think you can expect... Um, a toning down of the loud branding. Now, I say this, again, going back to the sneakers, uh, because of my experience, uh, not necessarily being deeply into fashion and clothing for uh, you know 20 years, but certainly it's something I've been interested in going back to middle school. And because I've been aware of it for that long, uh, I can say that I've been through uh, several trend cycles myself. So starting with Tommy Hilfiger and Nautica back in the 90s, then Abercrombie and Fitch in the early 2000s, 
And then, you know, stuff I didn't wear, uh, such as Juicy Couture, Von Dutch hats, and Ed Hardy. I mean, those were very logoed out designs. That was the zeitgeist at the time. But that then gave way to the much more classic logoless looks of the heritage uh, Mad Men era of the early teens. And then that led us to the street or moment that we're in now, uh, which is very heavily reliant on logos. So, you know, since the one constant in clothing and fashion is change, I do expect the pendulum to start swinging back the other way in 2020. Now, the, the only caveat to that, because I think we, we always want to try and look for a little bit of nuance, is that if, in fact, the uh, luxury and streetwear collaborations will be sticking around in 2020, as I said, uh, it'll be interesting to see how they handle that if consumers indicate that they want to move away from some of the more loud, uh, logoed-out designs. So this one, I think, could go either way, uh, but I also think that there's room for some, uh, for some of uh, both in the market. So special collaborations that maybe have a lot of logos uh, because that's what consumers want to signal with these limited-edition pieces. But then more generally speaking, with uh, these streetwear brands, uh, is moving towards something that's more subdued and uh, less loud than the pieces that are being produced currently. The last trend I think is going away for 2020 is uh, maybe a little bit of a stretch, but I believe that 2020 is the year that we finally uh, bid goodbye to quality style being completely inaccessible. Here's what I mean by that. It's true, you know, some things really are expensive in the world of subject matter that I cover here on Closet and Pocket. There are very few people among us, myself included in the group, uh, that can afford a Richard Mille watch and or an item from the Supreme LV collection. But that doesn't mean that everything else is not desirable. This is not a binary world where you have to have a Richard Mille uh, or a Supreme box logo hoodie or you're shopping at H&M and Zara for stuff that falls apart after five washes. There is just so much out there now between the used market or just new stuff that people haven't gone nuts over, that missed the hype train, that 2020 should be the year that inaccessible quality style goes away for good. You know, every day I find out about some new brand that's making affordable, well-made basics, or about a watch company like Longines that's established, but just crushes it with a new release like their new moon phase. And this makes me confident that even if I had to take a huge pick up one day, I could still look really, really good. This is great news for everyone. I mean, if an analyst were starting today, as opposed to when I started as an analyst in 2006, there is no reason they couldn't look phenomenal, you know, out of the pages of a GQ magazine, uh, for a budget that doesn't cause them to choose between uh, eating well, paying rent, and, and looking good. Now I know, I said that the drop was sticking around for 2020, so I'm not saying that the hype beast is going away. But with some work and some experimentation, everyone in 2020 should be able to stop feeling as if they're missing out because they didn't score something on the drop they should be able to go on a journey to find out what's hype to them and what makes them look their best in a way that doesn't force hard choices between having the best stuff, right? Having quality stuff that doesn't have to be disposed of after a couple of uses and everything else that's important in their lives. So that's it. That's the list of things that I think are here to stay and going away in 2020.
been a lot of fun putting these episodes together for you in this first season. Uh, And even though I am taking a break for the rest of the year, I fully intend to be back early next year with new episodes and a season two of the Closet and Pocket podcast. In the meantime, even though I've made my goal of 10 episodes of content, I still have not made my goal of 500 downloads. So if you like the show, if you want to see more episodes, uh, please do tell anyone that you think would be interested in, uh, in this show. Please do tell them about it. Also, if you have feedback for me, good or bad, I'd love to hear it. Please do leave it in the comments section of wherever you're listening to this, or you can send me an email directly at closetandpocket at gmail.com. And again, that email address will be in the show notes. I'm also looking for good ideas for show topics. So if there's someone you think would like to be interviewed, uh, if you have new topics for the show, or if you just want to share some great resource that I haven't talked about before, please definitely do go ahead and do that. And of course, so that you are notified of when new episodes come out next year, please do go ahead and subscribe to be notified of the release of those episodes. So with that, I will leave you all. I want to wish you a great end of the year and uh, look forward to speaking with you in the new year 2020. Talk to y'all soon.